Hi, and welcome to The Week Ahead. I'm Tony Nash, and today we're joined by Michael Belkin. Uh, Michael runs the Belkin Report, which is a hedge fund advisory service. We're also joined by Tracy Schuchart and Albert Marco. We've got a few key themes today. The first is a report that Michael just put out talking about forgetting AI and looking at some real equity opportunities. And we'll go through some of those opportunities in detail. Uh, we're also going to get some uh, some information from Albert on inflation, the Fed and Treasury. So what direction are those going and what, what can we expect there? And finally, Tracy's going to round us out with some discussion about crude supply cuts uh, and a few other issues there. So before we get started, I'd like to let you know about a promotion we're doing for CI Markets, our forecasting platform for stocks, ETFs, indices, commodities, currencies, Forex, and economics. For the next two weeks, we'll buy the first month of CI Markets for you. Go to the link to find out more. At checkout, use the code 25OFF. That's the number two, the number five, and the letters OFF. This will give you the first month free when you subscribe to our $20 or $25 a month plans. Get fresh market forecasts every week, accountable forecasts where CI discloses our error rates and a growing set of capabilities. We've just launched the top 50 US ETFs, NASDAQ 100, Nikkei 100, FTSE 100, and so on. Check out CI Markets today and use the promo code 25OFF. Thank you. So guys, thanks so much for joining us. I know you guys are busy all week long and I, I always appreciate this uh, recap at the end of the week and the look forward. So Michael, thanks for, for joining us for the, for the first time. Um, last week, you issued a report titled Forget AI, the Real Opportunity is in Energy and China. So as an AI company, I won't take offense. That's totally okay, but we're gonna dig into this. Um, before we get into some of your predictions, can you walk us through kind of your setup? What are you seeing in recent months that have really brought you to some of these predictive conclusions? Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, so my background, I came out of UC Berkeley Business School and I studied statistics there. Um, my main drive is forecasting. Um, I, I use this, a form of time series analysis proprietary algorithm that I developed based on my studies. It's, it's uh, similar to Fourier or Box Jenkins or Rima models. Mm -hmm. um, I was in proprietary trading at Solomon Brothers and my model gives uh, a 12 period forecast weekly data, that's the next three months. So my time horizon is three months most of the time, can be longer or shorter, but um, the model gives direction, position, intensity, direction up, down, or neutral, position, beginning, middle, end, and intensity or confidence interval. So I'm looking for the strongest signals and trying to get in at the beginning. And um, most of the time the model will be buying stuff that's down and selling stuff that's up, you know, buy low, sell high, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Sure. Um, and but that can be relative. That's not just the market indexes, you know. So the indexes are obviously high up here after this big rally. But um, okay, that's what I do now. Uh, it's really effective on sector rotation. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, I was really bullish on tech and the market starting last October, October seventeenth. So October through March, really bullish on tech. Uh, I was totally kind of wrong in Q two. It kind of overshot to the upside. My favorite stocks were the FANG stocks, you know, and then the overshot went three months higher. Um, so, but that didn't change the forecast. So um, it's really gotten stronger. So right now 
the model forecasts direction for tech down, direction for energy up. That's relative and absolute terms. So just to flesh that out, in, uh, in July, the uh, USO uh, uh, crude oil ETF was up 15%. Um, OIH energy service was up 20%. Um, and uh, the other thing, I, I the, the model has a similar forecast for China, by the way. So my strongest long ideas are energy and China. And in terms of the position, remember the, the model gives direction and position. I think of it in terms of innings. We're probably like second, third inning of a relative and absolute move up in energy in China, both relatively, relatively depressed. Turn that around on tech. Tech is just looks terrible to me, really overowned, direction down, intensity strong, position early, just starting. And to flesh that out, just to finish up on this little idea, this week, the tech sector is down 3%, XLK, and the energy sector, XLE, is up 3%. So I ran that chart you know, a few weeks ago in the report, long energy, short tech, that's the trade. And um, you know, that's what hedge funds do. You know, you're supposed to be market neutral, you know, have longs and shorts. That spread is up 6% this week. Fantastic. Very good. Can you walk us through, Michael, some specifics? Um, let's look first at tech. You have this chart on the New York FANG to S&P 500 ratio. Um, and I know you gave us a little bit of background on what's happened in July, but can you kind of talk us through your forecast and what, what you're expecting in the coming months there? Okay, um, so as well as the black box forecasting thing, which I do, I also wear an investment strategist hat. The investment strategist hat is how do the pieces of the puzzle fit together? What's going on out there? And, um, you know, I've been doing the Belkin Report. I left Solomon in uh, 1992. So I've been doing this for, what, 31 years now? Right. E-gads. Anyways, over, you know, sentiment is really important. Sentiment and positioning. And this is one of those times where people have just been squeezed into this stuff. Uh, one of my clients is the Alpha Capture Fund. Um, I, uh, I, they run my stuff, uh, you know, have 50 positions. And I talked to the guy yesterday and he told me everybody is long FANG stocks. I mean, that's just anecdotal, but, you know, they have 180 contributors, sell side, buy side. So, and he said something like, well, you know, if, if you got to tell your, your investors at the end of the quarter, if you're not invested in NVIDIA, they're going to want to know why, you know. So all these mm. people, there's this huge squeeze. People are over positioned. They've been squeezed into this stuff because it's worked, but it's yesterday's story. So I think we're set up for sentiment reversal. Nobody likes energy. Oh, by the way, so tech is 29% of the uh, S&P 500. Communication services, 9%. No, so both tech, that's 38% of the index. So I'm not particularly bullish on the indexes. You know, S&P, NASDAQ, there's too much tech in it. Energy yep. sector is only 4% of the index. Of financials, I'm also bullish on financials. Financials are 12%. So that only amounts to 16%. So you've got 38% that wants to go down and only 16% that wants to go up. So it's not particularly bullish uh, scenario, but mainly it's sentiment. So I, I think there's a huge pain trade ahead. They, you got People got squeezed into these stocks. Now they're rolling over. They're not going up anymore. Look at Apple. It was down. I mean, it was only up 1% in July. It's down on the day. You know, Amazon's up. But um, these things are, are turning into a, a big pain trade, basically. So I think there'll be liquidation, squeeze out of tech, out of FANG, into this other stuff, energy and financials and China. Michael, I'm hearing more about tech about layoffs, unannounced layoffs in tech coming. So what I'm hearing would kind of mirror what you're expecting, 
Um, so, you know, it feels like there is some pain in those companies that really isn't being talked about, or at least some expected pain there. Yeah, true. So um, you've got AI. Now, I'm not a Luddite, right? I use, I'm a, I'm a quant, you know, <laughs> yep. grief, you know, I use this stuff. I, I chat, you know, I mess around with, the, with these chat things, you know, but they, they give me hallucinatory answers, you know, some yep. of these. But um, so if you if you go down beyond FANG, a lot of tech stocks, so I, I the Belkin Report covers all the different groups, computers, software, communication services, cybersecurity, all these things. And I run the groups relative to the index and the sector and then the stocks relative to the groups. And there's a lot of stocks that have been acting like crap, you know, even though, even while the, the FANG stocks have held up. So, I mean, AMD is supposed to be one of the leaders, right? They came out with kind of okay earnings and then they opened up on the high and reversed sharply yesterday. So I think that's kind of a pattern. Um, and the, uh, as you suggest, a lot of the stocks that are not the headline super large cap ones, they're not doing so great. And they're not, you know, it's, it's not like a tech collapse yet, but again, second, third inning. So um, yeah. it reminds me a little bit of the height of the TMT bubble, 2000, yeah. if, you, if you were around back then. Um, a lot of stocks acted better after that in 2000. You know, March 2000 was the top. Tech stocks started trading down big time. And it, the internet was a thing then, right? Like it, was, it wasn't going away. These were a lot, you know, but a lot of the companies turned out to be they, not, not frauds, but they just didn't last. And the stocks went down 90%. They just didn't hang up. They didn't survive. Yeah, AI is a thing, but a lot of these companies are, it's, yeah, we, we've talked about this before with, with Albert. Like a lot of these companies, AI may not necessarily be the main thing, but it's a thing. It's a, you know, it's a real thing. So AI is not going away. Like you said, the internet's not going away. So, right. So, the, the, but, you know, so Microsoft back then was like the headline stock and that's, that certainly survived, but the stock went down like 80% or something yeah. over the next couple, three years from the height. And I'm not predicting anything that dramatic. I don't know. I, I only look in three months view here at the moment, yeah. but um Generally, it just makes me nervous on the market. So I'm bullish. Like you, you, you know, we're going to talk in a minute, in a minute about the Russell. Um, you know, Russell 2000, no tech stocks in it, no, no Fang. I mean, it's got some smaller tech stocks, but it's not, doesn't have the weight of the Fang stocks. So that looks like it wants to outperform, even though a lot of the companies there, you know, it might, they're not doing so great. But just in terms of flows and what happens, it's like there's a squeeze out of big tech into other stuff. Mm-hmm. Great news, traders and investors. CI Markets has expanded its coverage to include stocks from the S&P 500, NASDAQ, Nikkei, FTSE 100, and the top 50 ETFs. With more than 1,500 forecasted assets, our AI-powered platform provides highly accurate forecasts. Join our community of successful investors who rely on CI Markets insights to make informed decisions. Subscribe now for as low as $20 per month and unlock the power of comprehensive forecasting. To learn more or book a demo, visit completeintel.com slash markets. Speaking of other stuff, let's talk about energy. You have a chart of XOP oil and gas ETF. Um, can we can we talk about that? Energy is pretty unloved or has been pretty unloved. So um, let's talk through that a little bit, your outlook on XOP. Okay, uh, by the way, so I talked to my alpha capture guy. By the way, I'm ranked number two in that out of 180. I've got, I'm up uh, 15% market neutral in Q3. So that's after a month. Um, uh, and 
the point is I talked to him and I said, is, is anybody, he doesn't tell you what other people are doing exactly, but he just kind of gives you an overall view. So it's a good idea of good picture of how people are positioned. And I said, is anybody long energy stocks? He said, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> they're long tech stocks, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, so I think sentiment, people are not in this, you know, like ESG, right? You're not supposed to own this thing. It's not green, right. you know, this carbon capture. It's the end of the world. We you know we're all going to be living on windmills and solar, you know, and believe, I'm into this. I have a geothermal heating system in my house. So again, I'm not a Luddite, but um, it, just in terms of investment opportunities, it's out, under owned uh, XOP, again, second, third inning, People are just, it's been deathly quiet on my end. I've been pushing this for a couple of months. It's been working. Mm. Do I get calls about it? No. So I think like people are still like a few, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of my clients have been with me for a long time. They don't call me. I know that they pay attention to what I say. But um, in general, I just think, so you remember Sir John Templeton, right? Um, he said, the time to buy is at the point of maximum pessimism. And the time to sell is at the point of maximum optimism. And that's, that really holds true. I think, you know, energy point of maximum pessimism, maybe we're a little bit past that and only a couple innings past that. Tech, if, if you point of maximum optimism. So from Sir John Templeton's perspective, you know, it's time to buy energy and sell tech. That's great. Um, so I let's talk. <laughs> yeah, Tracy's. Uh, you know, Tracy's been saying this for a while, and um, and we just continue to see headwinds there. But like you say, the performance over the past couple of months has been has been really good. Um, so let's also talk about another another unloved sector is China large caps um, for political reasons, for economic reasons, for kind of failure to launch reasons after COVID. Uh, China equities remain unloved. So, can you talk us through why do you see uh, why do you see some upside in China? Okay, um, again, direction, position, intensity. The model just turned me on to China about a month or two ago. Really looked bottomy. Um, kind of had a few zigs and zags. It's then it started to go up. It's not up this week. It's underperformed. FXI is the ETF down two percent this week, but. Um, Again, it looks very similar to energy in the forecast, second, third inning up. Um, and then, you know, I'm an investment strategist hat looking for a catalyst. What's going to make, um, uh, yeah, let's talk about catalysts for a second. One for mm -hmm. China. So all of a sudden it's stimulus, stimulus, stimulus. And they're not running out the bazookas, right? It's kind of like little, but it's something every day, you know, that the, the authorities in China are talking to the brokers saying, what do we need to do to make, make people more uh, optimistic on the market? By the way, Chinese investors, the, the Chinese, the CSI 300 and Chinex, um, they've been kind of dogs. And the Chinese investors have lost hope in their market, mm -hmm. which to me, from a sentiment perspective, is positive because then you yep. get squeezed into it. So they're trying to ignite optimism among Chinese investors. Foreign investors, you know, Tiger Global blew up on Chinese stocks. They don't want it. Now they're, they came out with a new story. Tiger Global is long Apollo. You know, they've turned away from Chinese tech stocks and they're into financials which is okay, but I'm just saying anecdotally, there's there's room for people to get squeezed back into China. Of course, the risk there is the Taiwan-Chinese conflict. And I don't, you know, I, I watch that very closely. You never know if something's gonna come out of left field. I'm sure that makes people nervous. Um, but uh, by the way, I wanna mention one other thing about catalyst for energy. Um, the, the Biden administration energy department was selling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, SPR. They've been draining it by like, 
forget how much, 20 million barrels a week, I think, on average over the last three months. That ended about three or four weeks ago. They were using it for a cookie jar to depress gasoline prices for political reasons. You know, I don't want to go there, but I mean, that's not what it's for. If you go to the ESPR, it says it's for dis severe disruptions in energy supply, of which there hasn't been any, right? So right. anyways, they, they kind of, they emptied the thing as far as they can take it. And now that was an artificial depressant on on the crude oil price that kept uh, crude oil. But, and I was short, you know, the model was short, you know, previously in the earlier in the year, but that's over. So there's a catalyst now. So now they're in an arm wrestle with OPEC, OPEC's, you know, and Russia's cutting production. And, and so I think there's a catalyst for energy in the terms of the end of the SPR drain. And there's a catalyst for China in, in terms of, of fiscal stimulus coming out of the industry, uh, the Chinese Politburo, everything over there. Great. So all of this talk about fiscal stimulus that we saw in the first six months of the year post opening that was hollow. We're starting to see some traction there from the NDRC in China, from the PBOC. What are your thoughts on a, a deval? Do you do you look at CNY? Do you do you have any thoughts on whether we'll see a CNY deval? Yeah, so I'm kind of neutral on um, on the dollar at the moment. Uh, the direction, position, intensity. Remember, sometimes position uh, direction is neutral. So I'm I'm kind of I don't have a strong opinion on the dollar at the moment. So that could be coming up, but I, I don't have a firm answer from the model for you. I'm just standing aside in the currencies. Um, uh, you know, so I, that doesn't factor into my China view at the moment. Okay, good. Yeah, neither do we. We're not seeing strong either way in the dollar. Um, so I, I, I agree, definitely agree with you there. Um, let's close out with small caps. You mentioned some things about the Russell uh, 2000, but I, I want to go into that a little bit more detail. So you're showing small caps outperforming. Uh, and forecasting a rally. And so, you know, help us understand why. Is that just on a relative rotation basis or, or what does that look like? Yeah, it's a rotation thing. So uh, again, squeeze. So like I said, I've been doing this for 30 something years now, right? And I've seen what I, my original clients were what I call the hedge fund mafia, you know, the, the you know, the tigers and Steinharts of the world. And I've gone, I have clients all over the world. Um, and by the way, for my international, if you have international viewers, there's nine innings in a U.S. baseball game. I can answer. Yeah, I get questions about this when I say you're in the second or third inning. They say, well, how many innings are there? Yep. But anyways, I, I've seen over the years, I've seen the, this consensus get squeezed into stuff at the, you know, short at the bottom and long at the top. I've seen it over and over and over. And it's them reversing that, that causes these major inflections in, in sector and index rotation. So right now, you know, I think unequivocally, these guys are long, large cap tech stocks. You know, I don't want to mention any names, but I shudder some of the clients, some of my clients who are, you know, you know, again, just household names, big guys. I see them saying, oh, yeah, we're long, we're long Fang stocks, we're long the video. And I just kind of shudder because I know I've seen this before. You know, I've seen this movie. It's just like play the movie over again. Yep. Uh, it, what happens, it turns into a dump. So it starts going down. They're overloaded on it. They have to sell. And they say, what do I buy? So getting back to the Russell 2000, it's just they're not in that. You know what I mean? It's not oh, a thing okay. for them. So just from a rotation perspective, um, and again, I'm not all I'm not a bubble person. OK, I, I don't think this lasts forever. So where are we now? Beginning of August. Right. So I've got the indexes look like they're a long hold. Barely, you know, S&P again, they've got so much tech in them going up into maybe 
late September, sometimes September, October. That's when I start getting nervous. The Russell's, um, uh, the Russell looks fine. And by the way, one little observation on that. So I run all these groups and stocks. That's why I spend my weekend doing 12 hours a day, Friday through Monday. And I still see a lot of stocks that want to go up. Cyclical stocks, you know, chemical stocks, basic resource stocks. Yep. In Europe, um, there's a lot of China plays. So basic resource uh, sector in, in Europe. I do the sector rotation in Europe. Uh, it's really depressed, looks like. And these are, you know, stocks that are related to Chinese demand. Base metals, things like that want to rally um, based on the China recovery. And it, it's not it, it's not like a complete... Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's not like one of the previous huge stimulus packages in China. It's more, sort of like a mini bubble, but we're setting up for a China rally that, that could fade, that could feed into energy, small caps in the U.S. for another couple, three months. That's as far as my uh, forecast runs right now. Great. That's great, Michael. And I appreciate your openness on, hey, this, you know, this is a rotation thing. It's not necessarily a long-term rotation into Russell. I appreciate your openness on that because I think that really helps people understand the basis of of what you're uh, kind of why you're looking at these things. So thank you so much for that. Um, Albert, can you help us look at a little bit more of the macro uh, situation? Uh, you've been saying for months that the Fed will likely raise to 6%. So I put up a little survey this week to see what people thought. Um, it's interesting to see that 80% of people see at least one more hike and 50% see at least two more hikes this year in 2023. So are you, do you still think we'll be at 6%? At 6% or just, just below it. I mean, what does it matter at that point if we're at 575 sure. or 6%? And uh, I would like to say that uh, Michael's pretty much exactly right on the whole tech thing being overvalued at the moment. I've been saying that for quite a while now as they pump this market using those, you know, magnificent seven, uh, tech stocks that you know the liquidity just pours into commodities now and rallying the market just you know is an inflationary problem and you know they, they for the past few months you know you can look at the headline of inflation at you know you know four percent and three percent handle but you know you look at core it's not going anywhere but you know staying steady in the in the five percent range and i think that the next cpi report is probably going to surprise to the upside I mean, we have, we have we we continue with the wage uh, wage inflation, inflationary, you know. We continue with the TGA being used by by uh, Treasury for liquidity inflationary. I mean, we look at these policies going into an election year, and all of it looks inflationary to me. I don't see anything where the Fed or the Treasury is acting where they really want to combat inflation, and I have to question why at the moment. The only thing that we can look at is the US dollar at this point, because they're not gonna go over six, 7%, 8% or some people saying, you know, double digit in, you know, rates right now. That's just, that's just silly. I mean, that would be catastrophic for the US economy and the market overall. So, you know, from, 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 that, from that point, you know, I just, you know, I wanna see what the US dollar is gonna do in the next three months. Okay, so um, in terms of inflation, we, we had the services PMI coming on Thursday and, you know, I think some of these, um, you know, a lot of people want to believe that we've kind of defeated inflation. And we saw the ISM uh, services prices paid at 56.8, which is relatively higher than it was in the previous month. So um, you, you've been on this persistent inflation message for over a year. So this doesn't surprise you. 
So will we see a resurgent U.S. dollar or are we kind of in the ballpark? And what factors would play into that? I think that the U.S. dollar is probably going to be range bound between 100 and 110 on the Dixie, uh, only because starting to get over the 110 range into like 115 is problematic for Europe. I mean, they're already having problems as it is. I mean, you talk about you talk about a $115, $120 and, you know, emerging markets, which Europe is in reality, is going to be problematic. Especially as they're buying so much net gas from the U.S., right? Yeah, of course, of course, because they're they're not allowed to buy from uh, Russia. You know, we, right. we don't talk about we won't talk about those tankers going into Rotterdam, but that's, right. that's for a different exactly. conversation. Right. Exactly. OK, so um, and, and what's your view on uh, money supply? Um, I, I was doing some calculations earlier this week. We're still kind of two point one trillion dollars uh, over what our say Feb 2020 money supply growth rate was. So, you know, we grew at 5% a month for I think four months in 2020. And then it's kind of ratcheted down bit by bit, but we're still kind of $2.1 trillion over where we would have been had that not happened. So I know what's happening with the TGA, but do you believe we're gonna see a kind of a continued drawdown of M2? Uh, obviously we've seen negative, we've seen a contraction of money supply for several months. We've had the odd positive month, but do you think we're going to see a focus on M2 contraction from the Fed as interest rates are, say, continue to be elevated? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I just I just don't, you know, I mean, I, I think it'll trend down for another month or two, but, you know, coming into 2024, I think that they'll just expand it once again. Okay. So rather than uh, lower rates, you think they'll just continue expanding money supply? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And yeah, in know, lower of, rates is problematic. Lower rates is going to be a problem for inflation, for their inflation inflation fight. You know, they start lowering rates and cutting rates back to like 3% or 2%. I mean, you're talking about, you know, CPIs again in the seven, eight, nine handles. Right. So so this higher for longer narrative, you, you think rates will stay pretty consistent through 24? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's definitely, it's certainly, it's certainly gearing up for higher for longer. I think uh, Andy Costin or Bob Woodward was talking about higher for longer for forever now. And it's just, you know, the pivot and the pause crowd have been so loud over the past, you know, 12 months that it's kind of drowned out guys like that. But they're absolutely right. It's it's certainly higher for longer at the moment. Okay. And so going back to Michael's talk about uh, outlook on tech, obviously elevated rates, say contracting money supply for the next few months, that definitely is not bullish tech. That's not a bullish tech environment, right? No, it's not a bullish tech environment. We shouldn't even be here at the in the first place. It's only because right. the only the S&P, like Michael was uh, pointed out, is heavy with tech names, and that's what they've used to rally this market and rally the S&P. It's, it's, it's absolutely silly that we're even here. Right. You know, and like at some point, physics takes over and the numbers and fundamentals take over. And I think we're close to that point at the moment. Okay. And then with your dollar outlook, how do you think that impacts commodities? We've, you know, we've seen commodities really up and down over the past couple of weeks as the dollar has kind of figured out where it wants to be. If we see the dollar trading in your range, do we see crude, you know, kind of where it is now or, or what happens with, with things like crude and, and base metals? 
Well, the crude, especially with the range that I pointed out of 100 to 110 on the Dixie, I think crude sticks in the 75 to 85, maybe 90 okay. uh, range at the moment. I don't think that they even want, they won't let it go up higher. I mean, they'll just get into the futures market and start selling it down with brokers. Okay. So maybe touching on 90. Maybe touching on three 90. months. Yeah. I mean, this all, obviously it can't count. You can't sit there and speculate what kind of geopolitical problem pops up out of, out of the Middle East or, you know, the Black Sea or so on and so forth. But just just on a numbers basis, I think we're going to stick between 75 and 85. OK. And that flows through, Tracy, to like refiners and exploration companies and oil and gas companies, along with Michael's XOP thesis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So do you expect refinery margins to start coming back more or are we, are they kind of good where they are? They just need some stability and higher base prices for a while. For, is this question for me? Yes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, we are seeing those crack spreads start to gain strength once again. Right. And so things are looking good for refiners. Uh, you know, what I'm seeing is we're seeing diesel prices strengthen, not only in Asia, but in Europe and in the United States. So what I think will be happening is when uh, we start to get to, say, the fall where gasoline demand kind of teeters off as a seasonality thing, you're going to have refiners uh, go and start refining diesel okay. um, because there's just better margins on it. Okay, and then what's your view if 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 Albert's dollar thesis remains and we see a say over one hundred dollar between say one hundred five or so, how much does that impact dollar based? Uh, crude prices and commodities prices? Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, everybody, there's not a one-to-one -one correlation with yep. crude oil and a dollar. If you look at it over the long term, it's just not a one-to-one -one correlation. We have seen, uh, for instance, last summer where we had USD prices completely divorced from uh, crude prices and they both went up together. And that's happened often in the past before. And so, you know, it really depends on, for, for me, for the fundamentals. And then if we start, to talk about the fundamentals, let's talk about some demand numbers here for a little yep. bit. Let's do that. And then let's get into supply cuts as well. Right. So what we've seen, right, so we've had from China, India, and the United States, which are basically the biggest buyers this year, we've seen in H1, we've seen about a 3 million barrel a day increase in demand from those three countries combined. Now, H2 is forecast to see an additional 2 million barrels a day from just China and India alone. I, you know, I think, you know, we're over 20 million barrels a day. That's, I, I, you know, that's pretty much, I think, where we're going to stay for the rest of the year. Um, and so that's, you know, although, you know, 2022 demand was not completely all the way up to you know, 2019 demand, we have this year sur surpassed 2019 demand. Now, we've had a lot of negative sentiment on oil because everybody's scared of this recession that's just not here yet. And so there was a lot of negativity on that. That said, you know, we haven't seen demand come down at all. And, you know, I could argue also that demand is relatively inelastic. I mean, even when you had, say, 2008, 
Um, you know, in 2020 is kind of a different story because the whole global economy shut down. But you look at 2008, the last recession we had, um, you know, global de- oil demand came back fairly quickly compared to everything mm. else. Um, but going back to uh, where we're at right now. So that's where we're at as far as demand numbers are. We're over 2019 levels. We're at literally all time highs in demand. And then you still have OPEC you know, with their voluntary cuts. And as we just saw this week, earlier this week, that Saudi Arabia decided to uh, extend their million dollar voluntary cut to September, which was kind of not really a big surprise. If you have studied Saudi Arabia, they like to do things in three months. So that's kind of their, their MO. So, you know, going into the fall, we could have a serious problem with the market. Now, will um, OPEC react? Yeah, they can, but you have to realize that once they react, it takes a couple of months for that to actually filter into the market. In fact, mm-hmm. we're only just now seeing, as far as you know, exports and, and things of that nature, um, the May cuts come in, not even right. the you know June and July cuts. Um, so those haven't even factored in. So even if they respond, and we see, you know, uh, oil prices kick up because the fundamentals actually kick in and people care about the market again and actually care about fundamentals, then they can react. And I do think they will. I mean, they don't want a spike in oil prices either. They would rather have oil prices steady and kind of manage the market. Like, I don't, you know, they don't really want to see, you know, like the $130 spike that we saw um, February of 2022 after the invasion of Ukraine. That's not really a stabilized market because then it becomes an issue for emerging markets and it hurts other economies. And then they stop buying your product. Sure. So, um, you know, I think, the, you know, I think that $80, 80 to $90 range for OPEC for, for Brent is kind of a good place for them to be right now. Mm. So will we see other OPEC or OPEC plus countries follow suit with Saudi Arabia? Well, they're all, it's a very cohesive group. And I've been saying this since, you know, the 2020 debacle that, you know, out of that catastrophe emerged a very strong, cohesive group where we were used to seeing a lot of infighting, a lot of cheating and things of that nature. And everybody just assumed that's going to be the way that it's going to be. But since 2020, we haven't seen that. Okay. So Saudi's the only one that will continue cutting. Everyone else will kind of stay based on the next Yeah, there's, there are cuts between there's, it's not Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia's shouldering the burden of the cuts but there are other six six other countries that have the voluntary cuts to the end of the year so they all have you know we still have that two you know 2.5 million cuts and then this extra million was Saudi Arabia's alone decision to do this and it was just supposed to be for the month of July and August and they now put that out for one more month so it will include September as well interesting okay very good. Now, Tracy, I want to go back to something we talked about uh, a couple months ago, um, and I think we covered it again last month, is Rhine River levels. And we talked about how there was drought in Northern Europe, and the Rhine River had uh, had fallen to levels where uh, manufacturers upstream couldn't receive the commodities they need to manufacture, uh, and so on. So 
Can you walk us through some of the impact that's had? And then you had this tweet uh, earlier this week talking about how Rhine River, River levels are back to normal levels. So does that, will we see an immediate impact or you know, will that take some time for say German manufacturing to get back to normal? Yeah, that'll definitely take some time just because of the backup that, that has happened. Because what was happening is what you have to do is you have to split your load because your vessel is too heavy to uh, tra transverse the river, right? And so they were having to, you have to split your, your loads, which obviously takes a lot of time. So there's a lot of product back backed up still that needs to be shipped out. So, you know, it's going to be a few weeks before I think we will really start uh, seeing some uh, alleviation there, but, you know, but it's good. Obviously it's, it's very good news. And you can see the prices of some of these commodities that were very affected sort of start to come down, uh, particularly with the softs and, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Very good. So that's good news for Northern Europe. So guys, thank you so much. This has been a great overview. Thank you, Michael, for your outlooks. Um, please check out the Belkin Report, guys. Michael's got a lot more forecasting there and really, really solid. Uh, Michael, thank you. Albert, Tracy, thank you so much and have a great week ahead. Thank you. Thank you.